Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And today I have the great pleasure of uh, interviewing for this podcast my friends from the European Institute of Oncology in uh, Milan, Italy, uh, Dr. Ilaria Betella and Dr. Francesco Multinu. The reason for this uh, podcast is going to be a really very important article that we felt needed to be highlighted because uh, certainly I think that you will agree uh, once we have this discussion that really offers important information. Uh, the title of the article is A Novel Algorithm to Implement the Molecular Classification According to the New ESGO ESTRO ESP 2020 Guidelines for Endometrial Cancer. So, Ilaria and Francesco, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you, Pedro. Good morning. Good morning to everyone. It's really an honor to participate in your podcast. And thank you for your interest in this topic, uh, which is particularly important for us. Thank you so much, Pedro, for inviting us. And I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about our work today. It's an honor for me to join you on this podcast today. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you both for joining and accepting our, our invitation. Um, so I, I guess I'll start with you, Francesco. I wanted to first uh, discuss um, what are what are the current risk stratification criteria for endometrial cancer, you know, prior to this era of molecular uh, profiling? And what would you say are some of the potential flaws in that risk uh, stratification? Thank you for the question, Pedro. Uh, historically, uh, the classical clinical pathological characteristic, including age, histotype, grade, figure stage, myometrial invasion, and LVSI, were the best available instrument for risk stratification of endometrial cancer patients and for predicting their prognosis. Based on this uh, clinical pathological feature, endometrial cancer were divided in four categories, low, intermediate, and high risk, which add prognostic value and also guide the adjuvant treatment indication. However, the risk stratification system based on the histology alone didn't show high accuracy in stratified the risk of recurrence. The reason for the low accuracy are many. For example, histotype and grade have been shown to be poorly reproducible even between gyne expert pathology with no agreement in histotype in approximately 30% of the cases. Also, the staging assignment, which is generally considered more objective than the, and consistent than histotype and grade, was shown inaccurate. For example, there was a pathology review of all patients eligible for the PORTEC 3 trial that found a significant disagreement between pathology, not only in grade and histotype, but also in staging and other uh, risk group defined criteria like cervical thromal invasion, myometrial invasion, and lymphovascular space invasion. As a consequence of this, a risk stratification where the evaluation of this parameter is not consistent can lead to a wrong and imprecise estimation of the risk of recurrence and death. So uh, this may result in both over and under treatment. All these aspects highlight the need for an objective, a more objective endometrial cancer classification system. Great. So you know, obviously, then this brings us to, to the hot topic, you know, and I'll ask you, Laria, because uh, 
there's information that, you know, certainly uh, with regards to the Cancer Genome Atlas or the TCGA surrogate markers. And I was wondering if you can just uh, for, for our, our listeners uh, to give us an, an overview of, of what, what are the surrogate markers that we obtain? What are the categories? Oh, thank you for the question. So just a brief introduction about the uh, Cancer Genome Atlas Network. Uh, so in uh, 2013, in the attempt to overcome the limitation of the clinical pathological criteria that Francesco uh, has already speaked about, uh, a new molecular classification has been described by the TCGA network. This TCGA classification of endometrial cancer is based on an extensive genomic and proteomic analysis, which allow to identify four different molecular categories. These four categories predict prognosis in endometrial cancer. But due to the complexity of the molecular analysis conducted by the TCGA network, unfortunately, these new and objective molecular classification were not applicable in the routine clinical practice. So how to do? The response comes from the independent works of two different groups, the Vancouver and the transported group. They independently demonstrated that in the clinical practice, there are three molecular surrogates which can uh, predict with high accuracy the four uh, TCGA categories. These uh, three surrogates are called polygene, P53 protein, and mismatch repair proteins. Testing these uh, three surrogates allows uh, the uh, classification of endometrial cancer in uh, the four molecular categories. The, four ca the first category is uh, the polymutant class, which corresponds to the TCGA ultramutated group. This class is identified by the pathogenic mutation of poly, which is the polymerase epsilon exonuclease gene, and account for less than 10% of endometrial cancer having really good prognosis. Mm. Then the second class is the mismatch repair deficient, which corresponds to the TCGA hypermutated group. The hallmark of mismatch repair deficient group, uh, which account for about 25 to 30 percent of endometrial cancer, is uh, mismatch repair uh, uh, deficient expression of the proteins or microsatellite instability. And this group uh, has intermediate prognosis. Then the third group is P53 abnormal class or serous-like. This group is determined by high copy number alterations and frequent mutation on TP53 gene. It includes about 20, 15, 20% of endometrial cancer having poor prognosis. And uh, uh, this uh, group, uh, P53 abnormal tumors, generally belong to the previous called type 2 endometrial cancer from the Bachmann dualistic classification. Finally, the fourth 
plus is the so-called non-specific molecular profile or NSMP uh, or also P53 wild type plus. And this group shows low copy number alterations and is defined by the absence of the other specific molecular features determining the other molecular sub subtypes. This fourth class account for roughly 40% of endometrial cancer and have intermediate prognosis. The four molecular categories are not only related to prognosis, but they appear useful also in predicting the response to adjuvant treatment. And this is the reason why the molecular classes have been integrated in the European guidelines to prognostically stratify endometrial cancer. Also, the 2022 NCCN guidelines encourage the uh, comprehensive molecular analysis, even though they uh, recommend the analysis only to complement the morphologic assessment of endometrial cancer and not for risk stratification or adjuvant treatment indications. Well, perfect. Great. Thank you so much for such a, a detailed uh, definition of each of these categories. <laughs> and before before we get into the uh, before we get into the details of the study, I wanted to ask uh, Francesco because you know you talk about the uh, two different risk classifications in the revised uh, um, uh, guidelines of ESGO, ESTRO, ESP, and and I was wondering if you can just tell us for those who may not be familiar with these revisions, can you tell us uh, what they were? Yes. So the revised uh, ESGO ESTRO ESP guide guideline for the management of endometrial cancer that were published in the late 2020 include two different risk classification based on both situations where the molecular classification is known or unknown. Both classification systems classify patients on five categories, low risk, intermediate risk, high intermediate risk, high risk, and advanced and metastatic disease. In the risk classification with molecular classification unknown, the risk class is assigned only based on the traditional pathological feature, while the risk classification with molecular classification known, integrate the traditional pathologic feature with the molecular feature. These guidelines were a very important change in the management of endometrial cancer, as they represent the first attempt to integrate the classical clinical pathological risk factor with the molecular classification. They were important also because the adjuvant treatment recommendation for endometrial carcinoma strongly depend on the prognostic uh, risk group. For a matter of time, I can go through the detail of each risk class. Uh, I, uh, the most important change are two uh, in the recommendation are basically two. One is for patients with stage one and two polymutated uh, endometrial cancer, in which uh, the omission of adjuvant treatment should be considered regardless of the other clinical pathological risk factor. The other is for stage 1 to 4A P53 abnormal carcinoma with myometrial invasion and non-residual disease, which, because of a poor prognosis, are considered all at high risk, regardless of the other clinical pathological features. And based on this, uh, patients should receive adjuvant treatment 
regardless uh, of the other clinical pathological feature. This, the only exception is for P53 abnormal carcinoma restricted to a, poly, uh, to a polyps or without a myomethyl invasion, which are considered at intermediate risk and for which adjuvant therapy is usually not recommended. Great. So then obviously you both and, and your team, you said, we need a new algorithm. We need a novel algorithm. So getting now into the details of your study, tell us a little bit about the methods of your study. So we conducted a single institution retrospective study identifying from our institutional electronic database all consecutive patients with endometrial cancer who underwent surgical staging for endometrial cancer between April 2019 to December 2021, and for whom the molecular analysis were available. Based on histomorphologic features, every endometrial cancer was categorized according with ESGO 2020 guidelines in one of the five risk groups previously named by Francesco. Then, based on the analysis of the three molecular surrogates, all cases were subsequently placed in one molecular category, polymies, match repair deficient, P53 abnormal, or NSMD. After the molecular class attribution, every case was again categorized according with ESGO 2020 guidelines in one of the five risk uh, group with molecular classification known. These uh, risk class attributions allowed us to evaluate how many ca cases migrated in a different risk group after the addition of the molecular classification. In addition, we propose a new molecular algorithm for the molecular analysis that can be used for the implementation of the molecular analysis in the presence of limited resources to reduce the number of required tests. So whenever you cannot do the comprehensive test of all the three molecular surrogates, we propose a new algorithm in order to uh, uh, perform only the test uh, we really need to decide the adjuvant treatment for the patients. Well, that's great. And I think that, you know, that obviously brings us to the, 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 the key results of the study when you said, you know, when you don't have the resources, when you may not have all of this capacity. So I think for many of our listeners, this is where they're going to be turning up the volume on the podcast. Uh, yeah. What is, what is this new algorithm? Okay. So, uh, just uh, a brief uh, introduction about the results. So we included in our study 278 patients uh, who underwent surgery for endometrial cancer and did the uh, comprehensive molecular analysis. Among them, about 10% were polymutated, 27% means match repair deficient, 18% P53 abnormal, and the rest uh, 45% NSNP. Uh, comparing uh, the two ESGO uh, risk classifications, a risk class migration was observed in 6.8% of patients. Among them, 
13 had, were classified as higher risk due to P53 aberrant, and uh, uh, six uh, polymutated uh, tumors were classified as low risk uh, from higher risk. Now, going into the algorithm. The molecular analysis in our algorithm is reserved only for endometrial cancers, which might change their risk class categorization and post-operative management to the, thanks to this analysis. Our algorithm is applied only to early stage, so stage one and two endometrial cancer, since for advanced stages are considered as high risk and they will receive a human treatment regardless of the molecular class. In the presence of an early stage tumor, the analysis of both mismatch repair uh, proteins and P53 uh, protein expression, along with the histopathological features, allow the identification of a real low-risk case, which uh, do not require any further molecular analysis. Then, all early stage cases uh, that after mismatch repair and P53 evaluation are categorized in a, a class different than low risk, then all these patients need to be evaluated for police. Applying to our population, our new algorithm, uh, we uh, identified the possibility to spare poly analysis in 67% of our patients. Of them, 40, in 40%, the analysis was uh, uh, not required because they were already low risk, uh, and 27% uh, were advanced or metastatic uh, um, cancers, so already high risk uh, uh, cases. And by not every patient with endometrial cancer uh, undergoes uh, at our institution and for our algorithm to the mismatch repair protein evaluation for Lynch syndrome screening. And uh, according to our algorithm and uh, HESGO uh, guidelines, no risk class would have been misclassified and all cases requiring genetic counseling would have been identified thanks to our algorithm. So we're very glad that we have you back on uh, camera. And uh, thank you so much, Ilaria, for the, uh, for the results and outlining the algorithm. Um, actually, I do encourage our listeners to, to view uh, figure one from the article that has a really nice uh, uh, just outline of, uh, of how the, the study was uh, evaluated in the, no in the novel algorithm. But um, I'll, I'll turn to you, Francesco. One, one of the discussions we were having when we uh, talked about this article with our, our residents and fellows a few weeks ago was the issue of this uh, risk group migration. And one of the residents said, so, so why is that important? Uh, can you just briefly uh, uh, tell us about that? Exactly. Uh, with the term uh, risk group migration in our study, we uh, define a reallocation of a patient on a different risk class after integrating the molecular classification to the standard clinical pathological feature. As Ilaria said before, 
in our court, the integration of molecular categorization into the, with the clinical pathological feature was able to determine a risk group migration, so a reallocation of 6.8% of, of patients on a different risk class according to the ESGO guideline. The meaning of this is that in the absence of molecular categorization, potentially one every 15 patients may be misclassified and uh, consequently undertreated or overtreated, and this may also affect oncologic outcome. Very well. So now um, we'll get into some of the questions from our, our fellows in the journal. Uh, they, they, you know, we always say like these are some of the tougher questions of, of the podcast. <laughs> so the first one is uh, we're going to start with uh, a question from uh, Greece, Charis uh, um, uh, Charalampos, um, who asked, were patients reclassified as high risk, informed about their results? Did they receive a new consultation? Um, what, what is uh, what is your your thought on on this? So, in our study, the number of patients that were reclassified as high risk were thirteen out of two hundred seventy eight, which is approximately five percent, one every twenty patients. Uh, considering that uh, we perform the molecular uh, classification systematically for all patients as part of the routine clinical practice, and that the median time to get the result for both immunohistochemistry and NGS was 12 days. We, in order to avoid miscommunication, prefer to contact the patient only once the molecular results are available in order to give the comprehensive uh, picture and uh, to, to avoid to call the patient back uh, saying that the indication for adjuvant treatment was changed after new analysis. So this is our approach. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll ask Ilaria the next uh, couple of questions. The first one is from uh, Alex uh, Shuskevich from, from Ukraine. Um, and he asked, do you believe that 2% of patients uh, in your study who were reclassified as low risk from a higher risk group uh, could have impacted the results in, in, or could impact results in, lar in large prospective cohorts? And then his uh, follow-up question is, could we at all skip the poly analysis in the future? Ah, thank you for uh, these crucial questions. <laughs> um, so if you consider the third of patients who really need the poly evaluation based on our algorithm, the poly evaluation determined a reallocation in a lower risk class in 6% of patients. In other words, applying our algorithm, the number needed to test, meaning the number of analysis I need to perform in order to de-escalate the treatment in one patient is 15. Every 15 patients tested for poly according with our algorithm, one will have a de-escalation of the treatment. This is cost effective in our opinion. I am skeptical about skipping the poly analysis. Based on the recent literature, I think that the molecular analysis including poly are the future of endometrial cancer evaluation. 
I expect that uh, in the future, we will have a cheaper polytest, which will per, uh, permit us to uh, easily evaluate uh, all the, um, the comprehensive molecular classification. Great, and a follow-up question also to you, Ilaria, is from uh, Sarita Sharma, she's from India, and uh, she asked, can the authors elaborate on the class assignment of multiple classifiers? How do we decide which groups do they go into? So, um, thank you, Sarita, for the question. Um, I want to start by defining what the multiple classifier term means. So, uh, the molecular classification relies on the accurate interpretation of the three surrogate molecular uh, markers, uh, such as uh, mismatch repair proteins, uh, P53 protein, and uh, um, polygenes. Since approximately 5% of, of cases, actually in our population, 9% of patients are positive for more than one molecular surrogate, and these are the so-called multiple classifiers. The interpretation of these cases follows a validated hierarchical algorithm for the assignment to a unique molecular class. Uh, so, uh, according to the interpretation algorithm, which was also endorsed by the uh, WHO, the presence of a confirmed polypathogenic variant, uh, variant classifies tumors as polymutant, regardless of mismatch repair or P53 status. Then, in polyproficient tumors, laws of mismatch repair expression classifies the cases as mismatch repair deficient, regardless of P53 status. And finally, once polypathogenic variant and mismatch repair defects are excluded, then abnormal P53 expression identify the real P53 abnormal cases. The reminders are currently classified as non-specific molecular profiles. Great. Well, um, the, the, the next question is from, from Alex. Back to you, Francesco. And, and of course, obviously, he's, in, he's interested in, in, in the practice in, in low-resource countries. And uh, he says, you know, in, in many of these countries, doctors often will check only P53 abnormalities in patients with endometrial cancer and then, then base treatment on, on that. Um, what is your opinion? Um, he says, well, isn't at least something better than nothing? Yeah. So unfortunately, I don't think that this concept of the something better than nothing can be applied to the molecular category, uh, categorization because, because of the high prevalence of multiple classifier, especially in the P53 abnormal population. For example, by looking at our court, we identified 73 patients with P53 abnormal, but only two thirds of them were real P53 abnormal, while the remaining 30% were multiple classified. 
as in the presence of multiple classified, the P53 is considered the weakest uh, surrogate, as Ilaria said. By performing only P53 in our court, would have potentially led to overtreating 30% of the P53 abnormal patient, which is an high uh, group. For this reason, in low resources setting, I believe the most important aspect is to follow our algorithm to carefully identify which patient, in which patient the molecular characterization can change the risk class attribution and the indication for adjuvant treatment. And so focus the resources on this patient, uh, on, just on this patient. Yeah, and, and I think again to stress that point that you you did uh, um, <clears throat> mention in the article the the importance of this algorithm, particularly in in those low resource sent, uh, settings. Um, so I'll I'll change back over to you, Ilaria. And this next question is actually from one of your your own fellows in in Italy. So if if you have any issues with this question, you can speak to her personally. This is from <laughs> Gabriela Schivardi, uh, and she asks, in your opinion. Uh, which would be the best management of patients with no clinical pathologic risk factors and P53 mutation? Well, thank you, Gabriella, for asking about this controversial topic. So currently, we do not have strong evidence-based data to answer to this question. However, uh, retrospective data suggests that patients with no clinical pathological risk factors and uh, P53 mutation have worse prognosis than patients with no clinical pathological risk factors and P53 well type. So for this reason, the European guidelines uh, 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 sorry, uh, in uh, uh, the European guidelines, all the P53 abnormal tumors infiltrating the myometrium are classified as high risk independently of uh, uh, their uh, histology. And an adjuvant treatment is recommended in all these patients. In case of P53 uh, abnormal tumors limited to endometrium, so not infiltrating the myometrium, as Francesco said, um, they are classified as uh, intermediate risk, and vaginal brachytherapy can be indicated in the adjuvant treatment. Um, Moreover, at the recent ESGO Congress in Berlin, a postdoc analysis of PARTEC1 and SHU data uh, were presented, and uh, they showed that uh, P53 abnormal patients treated with adjuvant radiotherapy have a substantial benefit in recurrent free survival in this low and intermediate risk class. While waiting for strongest evidence based on prospective trials, I suggest to discuss with every patient the therapeutic scenario with the possible implications and then adhere to the guidelines. Very well. So um, this next question also from Gabriela, another easy question. This one for you, Francesco. Uh, she actually brings up an interesting point. She says, what uh, could be the advantage of performing the molecular analysis on the pre-op biopsy instead of the final pathology? How could you apply your algorithm in that context? 
Before uh, focusing on the advantages, it's important to remind that the molecular classification uh, of endometrial cancer has a very high concordance between the preoperative biopsy and the final hysterectomy specimen. It also high reproducible among pathologists and between different labs. And this is valid for both immunohistochemistry and for the NGS analysis. There are many advantages of performing the molecular uh, analysis on the probe uh, biopsy. First of all, uh, our pathology and molecular biology prefer always to perform the molecular analysis on the biopsy specimen because it's usually better preserved than the final specimen. And this is because the fixation in formalin is done earlier at the moment of the biopsy, while uh, for the hysterectomy, the fixation not always, is not always performed at the time to when the uterus is removed. Another advantage is that the information of the molecular classification is already available when the final pathology report on the hysterectomy is completed. So we are able to decide for the adjuvant treatment indication without waiting for the molecular analysis. And finally, I think the molecular classification is and will be very important during fertility sparing treatment of endometrial cancer. In fact, we know that the accuracy of the classical pathological features such as histotype and grading in the preoperative sample is highly affected by an inter-observer variation, especially because sometimes the material in the biopsy is scant and is not always optimal. So there is a risk of misclassification due to tumor heterogeneity. In particular, when the preoperative biopsy says there is a low grade, the, uh, it is not able to accurately predict the final histo histological result. And this may lead to underestimating the risk of uh, recurrence. All those data indicate that the molecular alteration that we found in, pre in the preoperative sample correspond better to the subsequent hysterectomy specimen than the classic uh, histopathologic feature. So because of this consideration, I believe that a molecular analysis is always necessary in an endometrial biopsy when we are in a setting of fertility sparing treatment. And this is important because early recognition of high risk cases can help for an accurate patient counseling. And in particular, for mismatch repair deficient patient, that seems to have a higher recurrence after an initial regression of endometrial cancer. And this is probably due to a low estrogen and progesterone receptor expression. Some author for this group of patients suggest that uh, uh, would not be appropriate uh, to candidate this patient for a conservative management. However, yes. we also... Yeah. No, it's, it's really interesting the the concept of the uh, of fertility sparing, and uh, and I, and I was uh, going to ask and sorry to interrupt you, uh, but uh, do, do is is that something that your team is working on? Is that um, yeah. a, an upcoming manuscript coming? <laughs> you know, we uh, we get funded for we uh, now collect all our cases of fertility sparing treatment in the last fifteen years. We collect approximately seventy patients. And we get founded just one month ago uh, for, uh, it was a donation of an endometrial cancer patient. And she founded for a retrospective analysis uh, of all our patients. And basically we want to 
try to replicate our the, the other studies in the literature uh, saying that uh, observing that the mismatch repair deficiency could be a higher risk and while the other subgroup have an higher rate of response to a conservative management but we are still uh, we still didn't start for the analysis we hope we hope to see that paper in our journal as well <laughs> so, sure. yeah. And Francesco, I'm sorry I interrupted you before. You wanted to make any additional uh, no, comment point. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I was just saying there is also one disadvantage for the uh, having the molecular analysis in the biopsy. And the disadvantage is that uh, our algorithm could not be applied in the preoperative biopsy setting because our algorithm relies also on the final pathology data such as FIGO staging and LVSI. So because of this, when performing the molecular characterization in the preoperative biopsy, we should test all three surrogates at the same time. Excellent. Uh, so this, uh, and, and uh, I had just have a few additional questions. This next question is from Arthur uh, Shu, who's our uh, administrative fellow. Um, and um, he asked, uh, CTNNB1 is said to have uh, intermediate risk in L1 cam and hypermethylation of MLH1 is associated with high risk. Any thoughts on how these can be checked, uh, evaluated, put into an algorithm in low resource uh, settings? Thank you, Arthur. Um, so the a further refinement on non-specific molecular profile class may include evaluation of beta-catenin, which is CTNNB1 gene, the expression of caterin L1-CAM, and also the uh, expression of hormone receptor for estrogen and progesterone as well. So far, there are not enough evidence to apply all these analyses in the routine, routine clinical practice, except for the evaluation of hormonal receptor status and for the evaluation of hypermethylation of MLH1 promoter. I want just to explain a little bit more what is this, uh, this test. So for all patients with mismatch repair deficient tumor, uh, which show um, loss of MLH1 protein, uh, they need to be evaluated for the hypermethylation of the promoter of this, uh, this gene. This hypermethylation induces the silencing of the gene, which determines the absence of the protein during immunohistochemistry. This is uh, um, an epigenetic uh, um, mutation, and so it's not hereditary. And uh, so the patient uh, um, which have hypermethylated mismatch repair deficient tumor does not need to be referred for, to a genetic counseling. And uh, uh, there are also preliminary data, as Arthur said, uh, which are showing that these uh, hypermethylated mismatch repair de deficient tumors may have worse prognosis uh, than the one, uh, the other mismatch repair deficient tumors. 
uh, about the application in the resource limiting limited setting. Um, so I think that an analysis of cost effectiveness should be performed in order to decide how to implement the evaluation of endometrial cancer with the molecular analysis in this setting. Uh, a recent publication for, uh, from uh, Orelana Taylor uh, demonstrated a cost effectiveness for the comprehensive molecular evaluation in high risk early stage endometrial cancers. And uh, actually, uh, she uh, also um, did, did not found a, um, an advantage in the application of the comprehensive uh, molecular analysis in advanced stage uh, endometrial cancer, which uh, may require only mismatch repair uh, deficiency evaluation. So great, we're we're not there yet, uh, but definitely uh, lots of work to be done. And um, so I want to be obviously respectful of your time. I have just two more questions, and and this uh, this one is uh, for you, Francesco. Um, actually, I heard a lot of discussion this at, at ESGO, um, you know, among the attendees regarding: Do you foresee molecular profiling impacting surgical approach to patients with endometrial cancer, particularly in with regards to you know, how, do we impact uh, sentinel lymph node mapping or the staging of, of these patients? You mentioned, you know, the information that you gather preoperatively versus postoperatively. Do you think this will this will uh, also impact how we approach these patients surgically? Yeah, I would say yes, uh, that in the future, molecular classification will be able to impact uh, surgical staging. And this, I think, will be uh, possible by identifying patients who don't need surgical staging, either because of a good prognosis, regardless of the nodal status, such as polymutated patients, or because of a poor prognosis requiring the same adjuvant treatment, regardless of the nodal status, as some suggest for the P53 abnormal patient. Now, in the lack of robust evidence in support of this, I believe that surgical staging with sentinel lymph node mapping should be the standard of care for all patients, especially considering that the low rate of complication and morbidity associated with the sentinel lymph node mapping. At this moment, a situation where the molecular profile could impact surgical staging could be the case in which the sentinel lymph node mapping is, is not detected and the patient will require a site-specific lymphadenectomy. In those cases that in our institution are very rare because in case of no mapping, we perform always a cervical injection, reinjection that almost always allow us to identify the sentinel lymph node. In those cases, a site-specific lymphadenectomy could be avoided in the presence of polymutation. In fact, as we demonstrate on a study from our group that we recently presented at the ESGO in Berlin, polymutated class is associated with a very low risk of lymph node metastasis and has also an independent protective role on lymph node metastasis. For this reason, those could be patients which avoid a site-specific lymphadenectomy. Finally, another situation in which a molecular profile could impact surgical staging could be the presence of a P53 
abnormal class in which considering the risk of peritoneal dissemination, we may decide to add a peritoneal staging with random biopsy and ornamental biopsy to the staging procedure. But this is just what we do without having a very strong evidence on this. Great. So then uh, last question to Ilaria. Um, I always ask, well, how do these results impact your practice? And I think also it would be relevant to add to that, how should these results impact practice like where I am today, here in, uh, in Central America? I'm at a conference where this is going to be discussed. How, how does this uh, impact practice here as well? So <laughs> I um, thank you. Uh, I think that uh, uh, the institution where I work, the European Institute of Oncology, uh, is a referral center. Uh, so uh, we have uh, uh, clinical research combined with the routine clinical practice. And for this reason, we are so lucky to have the possibility to perform the comprehensive molecular analysis in all our patients. Um, so usually uh, in our practice, uh, um, we, uh, whenever the specimen of the biopsy is available, we prescribe the comprehensive molecular analysis before, uh, before surgery. Then uh, if uh, I need to think about uh, uh, another uh, reality where the molecular classification uh, would be available uh, with uh, limited uh, resources, uh, I think that uh, our algorithm can really uh, ameliorate uh, the, the performance, permitting to save um, uh, to uh, save tests because polytesting is the mo uh, most uh, expensive uh, test. And uh, so uh, also in uh, low uh, resource settings, uh, our, um, our algorithm can help uh, the clinical routine clinical practice, I think. Well, fantastic. Thank you both so much, Ilaria Vetella and Francesco Multinu from the European Institute of Oncology. Uh, thank you for uh, certainly submitting this manuscript to, to our journal. Always learned so much from listening to you both. Um, you know, obviously, congratulations to the group at the European Institute of Oncology and also the Mayo Clinic who collaborated with you as well on this study. And uh, thank you always for accepting our invitation. Thank you, Pedro, for your invitation. Thank you so much.